This is RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. Uh, normally, this is a show where I interview people, usually involving things that uh, involve the tabletop RPG hobby. But unfortunately, this week, I have no guests. Um, I am on an island far from home in a different time zone that uh, is six hours different than my usual. And it kind of has thrown a wrench on things. So I'm in Ireland for a, originally was supposed to be for a month. It's been extended to seven weeks. So, you know, the choice was to put out a podcast and, um, or not. And so I will, my plan is, you know, I've been here a few weeks. I've had a bank of episodes to get me through. Um, and that bank has been eaten up. So anyway, I thought I would put something out with the hopes of continuing some interviews, maybe starting next week. We'll see. Um, it's just, um, anyway, life's been very disruptive with working in a different country at a different time zones. And, um, yes. So anyway, uh, this is going to be a real rambly, probably not so much RPG stuff. Going to talk a little bit about Ireland and some thoughts. And the thoughts will be rambly, but they're not going to always be about RPGs. So if you're looking for RPG stuff, maybe just wait till next week. Um, if you just want to hear some ramblings, I'm, I'm not. this is not going to be about a travel log. Um, but I thought I would share some thoughts of my preconceptions, things I've experienced, and things that, um, that leave me... Um, pondering. So coming to Ireland, I had a lot of misconceptions. Uh, well, maybe a lot. I don't know. I had misconceptions. And one of the misconceptions is the nature of the island itself. I assumed that it was um, all one country. Um, I knew that there was a, a north-south, I thought, in my mind, border. Um, and I realized that there were, um, you know, been a history of conflict with the, with the UK. I, I know, um, even though I didn't realize it's called the Troubles, remember the Troubles, the bombings, um, the violence that, that had gone on, especially in the 70s and 80s. And so, but I really didn't fully, completely understand that Ireland is two separate countries. So there is Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, and there is the rest, which isn't Southern Ireland, Ireland, it's simply Ireland. Now, there has been a, um, a group of people who want to um, make Ireland one island and kick out, still kick out the uh, British rule, and there's other people who like it just the way it is. And... Uh, that's kind of been a source of contention going back hundreds of years, um, fulminating, fulminating in the uh, lot of the violence that occurred uh, latter part of last century, and so it's it's interesting coming into an area where there's conflict um, about political situations that are not your own, and. You know, it's easy to form maybe initial opinions, but, you know, again, things are more complicated uh, than they appear. Um, the idea that it's two separate um, countries is made very evident with Brexit. 
So we are right now. I'm staying in Belfast. Actually, I will be staying in Belfast. Is where I'm, I am at, right? I don't want to say in the heart, but right in the downtown of Belfast. That's where I'm. That's where I'm stationed, and it is in Northern Ireland. We took a um, we took a a trip to the west coast, um, to a number of places, really to visit the the other side. Uh, namely, a place called Sleeve League is where we wound up. But we went through um, a number of towns, and we went to. Um, we were at Donegal, Donegal. Uh, I never, I can't, I can't pronounce it right. Donegal, Donegal, Donegal. Anyway, I've asked the, the, the locals to help me with that, and I'm still messing up. But anyway, we went to Donegal, and we went to go pay for a uh, in, for a meter. Went to go. I went to go throw some coins in the in the car. We'd driven all the way there from uh, uh, from Belfast, and the meter wasn't taking the money. And my coworker looked at it and said, "Hey, these are these are in uh, euros." And it took me a minute to understand that I had a pocket full of of uh, pounds, uh, British pounds sterling, and the machine took <laughs> euros. So. Same country, do different kinds of money, made evident with Brexit. Uh, pretty confusing. Uh, the signs, so if you look at the speedometer, or speedometer, if you look at the, the speed limit signs in Ireland, they're actually, I like them better than ours. They're a red circle with a black number. That tells you the speed at which you get to go, uh, the limit, just like in our country. It just says, you know, red circle with 70. Well, the problem is the British, the part that's Northern Ireland, um, uses the imperial uh, measurements, so it's in miles per hour, whereas the um, Ireland use, utilizes the metric in its kilometers per hour, but there's no difference in the signs. So you can be driving along and cross the invisible border, and next thing you're in that country, and the signs actually go from, from one to another without really any indication of it being different. The only help, hope you have is if you uh, have a phone in your GPS and it will, it will switch over uh, kilometers per hour versus miles per hour. So, but anyway, the, um, it, it's very interesting, the, the, the division. In some ways, it kind of, uh, looking at the division that occurs in that country kind of helps to, I think we'll even look back at our country about divisions and, and grievances and how we treat. Um, so, for instance, we were in the town of, uh, there's a town that's very controversial as far as its name. I say controversial, I mean, not really controversial, but uh, it has two different names. So, Northern Ireland is known as Londonderry and Ireland is known as Derry. And... It is a difference between, it is a political difference. And we were, uh, happened to be watching a band come up while we were in the square, march around the place. And it was a, it's a very formal event, um, this procession. Then later, when I was back in Belfast, I was talking to a local and asked him what was, you know, showing the band. And he seemed just kind of, kind of 
wearisomely said, oh, they're orange men. Or he says about, uh, and it's talking about, the, about July. So what goes on July goes these parades. And then as we explained, the, uh, so the loyalists, which would be the British aligned people who has control over Northern Ireland, will parade around in the regalia and um, in July to kind of demonstrate their sovereignty over Ireland. And the people who are loyalist here. I mean, that's that is their thing. And of course, I think to the people who aren't loyalist or orange men, um, it's probably seen as kind of a, a thumb to the nose. Um, so anyway, a, a very long history um, going back. In some ways, I was thinking too. It seems like with um, I probably don't deal much in in gaming with politics. Um, but it does seem to me that, um, in many ways, having um, conflicting groups within the same um, country is a very real and a very good way to add um, energy and maybe a little chaos to the game. So, you know, I don't know the history. I need to read the history. But... Obviously, there's a large number of people, I'm assuming, that, you know, forts were built, battles were won, people were landed, land was claimed. Um, in, in the short, you know, I don't think it was necessarily invaders versus, you know, the people who are the original inhabitants of the land. That really isn't quite the case. Um, but in some ways, it does have that feel. And and uh, in a anecdotal note, uh, the people I work with, I don't know. Uh, I work with some hourly people. Uh, I think they may be um, more the Catholic side of things rather than the Protestant or the Orangemen or the uh, Loyalist side. Um, but talking to one of them mentioned that he claimed, don't know if this is true, but it kind of makes me think of the sentiment uh, of that may be right, even if the story isn't right, is that supposedly there was a stone of destiny, he told me. The straight face. So I, I don't doubt him. He said there's a, a stone of destiny in which the kings of Ireland would, or the rulers of Ireland, the separate ones would come, and that was a stone by which some oaths were made, or it sealed the legitimacy of the rulers of Ireland. Now he claims, don't know if it's true, that that very stone was taken from Ireland and is now uh, the throne of England is placed upon it. Don't know if it's true, again. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but it feels true in a way that even if it is uh, a myth, it feels true. And the way it made me think of was, uh, you know, like the, the thoughts of like, say, cultural um, appropriation. And the idea is you take something from somebody else and you make it your own and then legitimize with your own authority. But I think the part of what's different here is that 
if this is true, the, it demonstrates England making a claim that it has uh, divine um, uh, power over Ireland. Again, I don't know this is true. But metaphorically speaking, it's like, you know, it is quite common for groups to take something from a group, another group and, and then cast those people aside, but keep that thing which was uh, valuable for themselves. You know, it's like, um, I think especially listen to like with black musicians, uh, the African community with, you know, go through jazz, you go through uh, soul, you go through rock and roll, you go through many of the, just the music. Um, and then people make very little money. White people start doing it. They make a lot of money. And, uh, and all of a sudden it takes off and the people who originated it are left um, really with no legitimate claim. I say legitimate claim, but it's it's almost I, I could I can kind of understand for whatever reason more how people can feel when something is taken from their people by another group of people, and so I don't know. It's it's uh, something that it's something that. Uh, I guess I'm trying to be more aware of, and it's easy to um, overlook um, other. In some ways, it's kind of like there's a certain pretentiousness, I guess, about it's very easy for societies which are dominant to kind of a pretentious attitude uh, towards things. But anyhow, um, that I thought was interesting. Um, the other thing was the... Um, so there's this thing called the Troubles, and that was a period of violence. I think it goes from maybe, I don't know, it's late 60s to, to like maybe like mid-90s. Um, there were bombings. Uh, it, 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 I think the, the, the loyalists versus non-loyalists have been going on for a long time, but and I need to do more reading on this, more understanding. Um, but it's very interesting in that the amount of that's I think when the violence started escalating, that's when um, the um, the violence, the terrorism ratcheted up. And watching The Crown, if you watch that series, uh, the last season, uh, that takes place. So it was kind of fun when we were watching that. I was able to uh, explain to my wife what kind of what was going on with some of those scenes. Uh, as that kind of came up, and with Thatcher, <clears throat> and with I think one of the, the Royals uh, had their boat bombed. Um, I bombed. I mean, they got blown up. So, but if you, so it's very easy to look at one time being the oppressor, and the other side, you know, being the the um, the victim. And if you go to the east side, you cross the river of Belfast and go to the east side, you will see murals. And the, mur the murals, 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 um, are very political in nature. And they show men in ski, <laughs> ski masks with uh, automatic rifles. And they, are, they were clubs that were formed together to um, under the auspices of protecting 
their people against the, which would be the unionists, or the loyalists against the others. And uh, a lot of the graffiti talks about defending their homes. Um, I mean, it's pretty startling imagery that still exists. Now, there are a lot of murals in Belfast, and there's even a friend of mine did a picture where they're trying to keep the tradition of the murals, but kind of, even though there are some that are, are definitely heavily political, um, they're trying to actually branch out and make it more than just that. And you, as you walk around the city or drive around the city, you can see that. But, um, but anyway, it does, seeing these, it's like you really get a sense of the, uh, of the fear that they had, they listed the number of people that died from Irish uh, bombs and Irish shootings, and it's uh, it's difficult. And so at that point, it's like, well, somebody's are the victims too, and it's you know this has been going on for hundreds of years. The you know I think the Northern Ireland's been around supposedly longer than the the U.S. has has been around. So you know this division's been here a while. But it really escalated to to a large point, um, and I think again, the there's probably opportunities even in games not to trivialize what's going on in Ireland, but um, you know political intrigue, people being upset, um, you know that is not an uncommon thing to actually happen in real life. But it seems like so much of the time with games that the political situation is very set, or really, I guess maybe not even really much of a. Um, I guess really most of the time adventures are set around um, not really caring about who's a ruler or what's really occurring politically. Uh, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for that and without necessarily even one side being right or wrong. And um, it's very interesting. What I also found very interesting is I went to City Hall today. They got a museum in City Hall where they, you know, the history of, of Belfast and you go through different rooms and it's kind of disjointed because it's part of the sort of the of the uh the uh city hall was not intended to be a museum it just became so after a certain period of time so the it went through different time periods different situations it's interesting when they came to the room that covered we'll call it the time period of the Troubles. And I think at first, as I walked in there, it's it's called a reflection room. And all it really was was quotes pulled. Um, I think there was, there's a book, I took a picture of the name, but I haven't looked it up. There's a picture where, excuse me, um, quotes uh, of people who are affected um, by the violence. And at first I thought, you know, they really didn't cover the history because you go to the next the room and that room is by itself. And then you go, you go on, it's like, wait a minute, nothing was really stated. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, that's odd. It's odd. Is it like ignoring it? But I went back and I started reading the... Uh, Yeah, so I started reading the quotes. I was like, wow, I think it really captured it without really stating, 
you know, right or wrong or, or whatever, but just the, the people, quotes of what they were going through, the loss of loved ones, waiting for them, expecting them to come back in the background, but knowing they're not. And uh, anyway, it was very interesting. Um, so I kind of think that was handled probably in the best way. You know, maybe you don't really, I don't know. I don't know. It is such a sore spot. It is such a sore spot in feels like so there's a number of things going on so arrived at the hotel i left the hotel this morning it was my day off so i go to leave and there's tv crews and i come back and there's still tv crews so i was got i actually went out to get a coffee and buy another hat from the hat man at st george's market and then i came back and uh they're so TV crews. I was like, that's the, that's the, uh, the, uh, I forget the name, uh, the, uh, Corsier, whatever that, whatever that term is, and asked, well, what's going on? He's like, oh, uh, I saw the camera crews, like, they're still here. He goes, yeah, they'll be here all day. I said, what's, you know, what's going on? He's like, well, it kind of sounds political. He's like, what is it? And he's like, you really don't want to know. Or, yeah, it's like, I can't remember how he put it. And it seemed like from from his point of view, it felt like it was a wearisome situation. Now, the little news that I caught is it sounds like Sinn Féin has gotten a large enough foothold in the latest election that, and I don't know, I haven't, I have not spent more than like 30 seconds seeing a news clip, but something has happened that has flipped the situation in a way that a united united a united ireland may be on the table maybe that's what I, that's what i'm taking away and there's a lot of uncertainty what this is all going to mean and everybody's trying to sort this thing out but it just seems like some people are just weary of it and even talking to um so the the fellow I came here with uh, from America, he also asked one of the, he asked right off the bat, uh, he asked one of the workers, Dom, how he pronounced, how, how he, he, I think what he called, did he call it dairy or London dairy? And he's like, he just started back, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not getting into that. No, no. I think in general, a lot of people are just weary of, of the situation. And uh, the other thing I was thinking, too, it's like they are in a situation that seems kind of a little bit unusual. But I was thinking it's really, um, it's really almost akin is if during the Revolutionary War, we had several states that were uh, unionists. I mean, he was still loyal to the, to the to the throne, and after the Revolutionary War, a couple states stayed with the, uh, or several states stayed with the, uh, um, stayed with England, and the rest succeeded uh, and formed their own states and proceeded from there. It's it's kind of similar situation. It's like, what would that be like if, let's say, New York? Or let's just say um, 
couple other states, like say Georgia and, and whatever, were to to be kind of have a shared history, but also be separate. And I think that's kind of helps me to frame that. But this has been gone so long. Um, but there are it's there's still talk. Um, there's still anger. In fact, when I was talking to the Hat Man today. I my uh, go to St. George's. I like so I like these hats. So I just been buying one at a time. I bought one for my son today, and he was talking about how they <clears throat> there's a rash of people stealing ATM machines using excavators, and he showed me on YouTube where this hydraulic excavator was used to. Uh, they just drove it off the trailer, drove the tractor up to the wall, excavator, and just scooped out the ATM. Took out, you know, took out the wall, uh, dropped the ATM into a truck, then put the excavator back on the trailer and drove off. And um, he said one of the things too is that these happen in small towns, and there's often a slow, slow uh, police response. Because um, the fear it's a setup for a shooting, and so even though Belfast in this area is a unionist uh, uh, region, it's also uh, people in the um, in the rural parts are not sympathetic towards that. It's also kind of interesting too. It's uh, even Ulster this uh this whole region i don't fully understand the full geography but there's like seven i think provinces or whatever of ulster and and even that has gotten divided up so like northern ireland has like five of the seven and it's kind of interesting there's even a division within a division um as how this plays out so there's all this tension that's that's been going on and underlying and tumulting and uh and it's still happening but uh, many ways uh they are saying that um talking to um cab drivers is that they're uh belfast is trying to reinvent itself and, and spending time doing that so anyway um yeah very interesting um the other thing too i was thinking about is that there's a number of things that um that made Be- belfast great as far as the city, it really was a timing during the, uh, they had their, uh, we'll call it industrial revolution a little bit later, but um, the economies uh, centered around um, flax, um, they centered around shipbuilding, uh, tea, and the fourth one. Yeah, well, even for a while, even carbonated water too. And so um, in the shipbuilding, um, that's another story. Um, but I thought too, it's like, you know, for cities, um, I think we're used to cities kind of being a little bit, being quite a bit different than it was say in previous times where there was like, well, there's still our principal industries. Um, cities have principal industries if they do have industries at all. Um, you know, where, you know, maybe out, maybe like Los Angeles, maybe the principal industry is, you know, entertainment. And whereas, you know, maybe Pittsburgh, it's, you know, the factories, whatever, however it goes. But 
but anyway, the ideas for world building for cities is I don't know that we ever or I ever really focus much, but there really should be a, some principal things that they're known for. And uh, whether it be um, shipbuilding or, or whatever it may be, um, I think that can add a, a, a certain uniqueness. Um, it can add flavor. And I think it, and it can add a nice background to things that you're doing. So it's like, um, you know, if you're doing caravan bit, if you're doing that sort of thing, it's kind of fun to say, you know what, you know, you can buy such and such here and sell it over here for uh, such and such profit. And for some people who want um, to take Traveler and uh, put it into their um, their fantasy RPGs, uh, it could be kind of a fun thing um, looking at, uh, at those kinds of rules or even just kind of some hand wavy uh, stuff. But I thought cities are really defined by key industries, or at least they were. And that I think is another way of adding flavor, adding uniqueness um, to the, the narrative of the city uh, that you're working with or through or for your, for your game. Uh, the other thing that was interesting too uh, is the, um, the Titanic. So I'm not seeing the movie. I know the basics, uh, but there's a Titanic Museum here in Belfast because uh, the Titanic was built here in Belfast. And it's interesting, if you go, if you go to the museum, um, the number of events that kind of led to this and then the type of infrastructure that had to be put in in order to make it happen. So, as a city, as they decided to, you know, in the 1800s, like mid 1800s, to really grow this as a shipbuilding, uh, they really changed the course of the river. They changed channels. They they dredged up large amounts of material, and built slips and docks, and altered the terrain in a in a very significant way, in a way that I can't comprehend. Um, doing without the use of at least, you know, steam powered shovels. Um, not sure. I'm not sure how you remove large amounts of material from underneath the waterline in a way that's like, there's a point where you could have a, a, a thousand people digging, but once you get to the waterline, I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure they, they had some sort of implements to do so, but the amount of earthen material removed is staggering. But anyway, so all my the history I've seen of the Titanic has been, um, or that I'm aware of, is, okay, there were some rich people, they got on the Titanic, um, hit the, hit the uh, iceberg, the rich people... Um, Many of them survived, and the poor people who uh, were on that passage uh, didn't. And that was the end of the story. So, you know, coming here, uh, it's just uh, it's such a different angle because they made the ship here. It, you know, it's like the ship. It's a progression. Like anytime you want to do a thing. So like, for instance, um, 
before I really got as serious into, uh, you know, publishing something for Kickstarter, I did early, I did smaller steps first and worked my way up. And, uh, and then everything I would do, I would learn something. So I started out with my very first, my very first zine, which was, I printed something for myself, um, did some stuff. Um, it is a, a proud thing that I did, but it is a, um, it is not anything I'd ever, I would ever, uh, show to the public. I may show to a friend's, but this is not something it's, it's ready for prime time, but that's okay. Cause that was my first attempt. You know, I hand sewed the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, spine. So, and then, you know, working your way up. So the same thing with the, with the, uh, uh, with the Titanic. And, um, it's pretty impressive. The, the steps that were taken, the people that it took to build it, how they build it, the craftsmen that it took to even get it. So, uh, to get it to the, uh, and so you think about, there's just the structures, there's the engine, you know, there's all the mechanics, but then there's also the ornate woodwork, the carpeting, the, the chairs, all that was handcrafted. Um, it's pretty astounding when you, when you look at the amount of energy, the amount of people, the amount of effort that it took to make these things a go. And, you know, they're the same company, um, Holland and Wolf, or I can't remember the name, uh, Holland and Wolf. I don't know. But anyway, they're, they're still making, they're still, they're still shipbuilding. You can still see the gantries, the magnificent large gantries on the skyline uh, from the shipbuilding. They're still building ships. Same company built the panic, so, so building ships. Um, but it's, it was just interesting to see the, the sweat and the effort, uh, and the ingenuity and the, and the magnitude at which it took to build the ship. And that's an angle that I'd never seen. And also, obviously, it's like, you know, not only is there just the, the, the passengers, but just so many of just the people that are the crew that died. And uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's, I think there are parts uh, in there. I don't think anything was directly emotional, but boy, reading, uh, you know, some of the uh, findings of the safety committee, um, they just kind of post up there like, you know, like there's some stupid decisions that led to this. Um, and also the idea is like, you know, if they had more, if they had more lifeboats, more people would be alive. I mean, it's, it's, it's even that simple of math. It's just like, you just think about it came down to, uh, you know, the presumption and, um, and, well, there's a number of things. It's kind of interesting. So I think there was a, um, there was a, a ratio of number of lifeboats, but it was per size of the ship. Really, was it had nothing to do with the, the number of people. So, I think technically the Titanic met the requirements of the number of lifeboats. But if you're talking about a cargo ship, you know, maybe you have a crew of like let's say fifty people. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But or maybe a hundred people, whatever. But if it's you know a larger ship that's actually a uh, carrying people, you might have a thousand people or two thousand people. I don't know whatever whatever that number is, but 
point is, is that uh, it's like, wow, what such oversight led to such uh, such uh, loss of life is is, is staggering. And uh, reading the reports and people, and it's just like, you know, it's pretty awful. So anyway, uh, I'm trying to think. I did have some notes. Any notes? I think I just kind of rambled about the most of the stuff. Um, but the other thing I was thinking too is Ireland would. So I bought a um, an ordnance map, which is a portion of of Ireland, and it is a it's um, it shows the uh, it's not uh, it shows the topography, but it's not the standard like uh, topo- uh, topographical. I can't even pronounce it. Uh, map. Uh, it shows more. It, it is more short the, the hills and such rather than the you know concentric circles or odd odd circles. And I was thinking, yeah, this would be fun for a game. But I thought, uh, really, the island itself of Ireland would make a great uh, would make a great um, land for adventure because early on, it appears that I think some of the first big Settlements were really along the coast, and uh, with the the varied geography and the um, number of photos, the ability to use Google Maps and get on the and the cars are the where you can drop the the person onto um, Google Maps and you can see from the car what what it looks like. I mean, the opportunities for creating a, a a setting there is is pretty. Pretty great um, naming conventions. Pretty cool. Um, don't know. Going back to the appropriation cultures, where where it starts getting uh, too weird, or really doesn't matter. I don't know because uh, people are still. Um, I don't know. But anyway, I just thought that it would make it would make a great setting. I don't know if people have done it or not, but um, my goodness, it's a good opportunity. Um, anyway, that's all I got. Uh, if anybody wants to, I don't think anybody ever, this is a, a, uh, anchor podcast. Anybody wants to call in, feel free next week. I will try to get somebody to talk to, but man, I'm telling you, I'm out of sync with, with, with my life, uh, at least the way it was. So, but the good news is, uh, work is being done. Stuff just not as quickly as I'd, I'd hoped. But uh, progress being made, and I'll see if I can. Yeah, it's just weird. Six hours you wouldn't think is that big a deal. But the time I'm going to bed, people are getting home from work. So it's odd. And usually Saturdays, uh, but out and about. So anyway, uh, take care, everyone. And I will hopefully have something more than an Ireland ramble. Solo ramble. Maybe I'll get another person we can talk about Ireland. Just kidding. So anyway, take care until next time.